Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio, uh, coming to you on Saga 960 AM. Um, I'm joined this week, uh, not by Yael, he is uh, again out gallivanting um, the the Alps of Switzerland, mingling with the global elite, um, but I am joined by my colleague Elizabeth Hicks. Thank you, Elizabeth, for uh, co-hosting the program again with me this week. Absolutely. Thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. So right off the bat, you have um, some some pretty big personal news. Um, yes. You were, uh, and I use were uh, very intentionally, um, you were um, <laughs> battling uh, cancer uh, and yep. you have officially rung the bell. Um, yes. Who don't know what that means that means um you are finished with treatment and does that mean officially cancer free now i am officially cancer free now my treatment isn't completely done mm-hmm. but i did um i did finish i did 14 rounds of chemo um that i finished in the fall of last year and then i uh started radiation in december and then got to ring the radiation bell on Tuesday, just a couple days ago. So it was a very exciting uh, milestone in this uh, not so fun journey, but it's uh, it's all been good. And what, I mean, how do you describe the feeling of ringing the bell? Because obviously this is, cancer is, is a serious um, diagnosis. Um, that yeah. must've just been a tremendous weight off your shoulders. Totally. So I guess a little background for our listeners. Um, so I was diagnosed with um, late stage two breast cancer back in March of last year. Um, I had just turned 29 and got a phone call that uh, a mass that they thought was something normal was not normal. And so that kind of sparked a uh, this long year of, you know, battling cancer and, and gratefully beating it, which I'm really excited about. Um, so being able to ring the bell is, you know, one of those huge milestones, I think, for just about any cancer patient. Um, you know, again, this journey is one that no one really wants to go on, but mm-hmm. you have to find the silver linings and make the most of it. And so having those little, you know, treats, if you will, along the way definitely uh, makes all the difference. And um so where I go at the, I go to a cancer institute um, here in Lansing in Michigan, and they're all fabulous, but they have a very big bell. <laughs> and they, uh, they tell you, you know, don't be gentle. You've earned it. You try to rip that thing off the wall. And so that's what I did. Did not rip it off the wall, but I did ring it pretty hard. So, well, that's so good. Yeah, it was it's good. Yeah. That is, um, I mean, how, how does going through that maybe change your outlook because I can I can only assume the roller coaster emotion of emotions from that phone call you got until ringing the bell um, yeah. a lot of highs and lows I can assume but walk maybe some of our listeners through um, what some of that experience or what does it look like um, to go through yeah. chemotherapy yeah it's definitely it's a wild ride you know and I tell people you know zero out of five stars would not recommend (laughs) if you can avoid it, avoid it, (laughs) which is also just quick side note, why I'm so passionate about vaping and tobacco harm reduction. Again, there's so many people that don't have to go through this journey, but end up having to, um, and we just had better policies, you know, maybe we could minimize some of these, uh, Mm -hmm. unfortunate situations that we run into. Um, so that definitely is one takeaway for me though, honestly, is 
for me, you know, I um, definitely identify as a libertarian, um, not the biggest fan of our government in a lot of instances, but this last year has really opened my eyes to a lot of the shenanigans that goes on with our government, especially through a medical side. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like coming back to vaping real quick, this is something that I talked to a lot of my oncologists about. Um, and they all were very much like, no, vaping is terrible for you, um, which I referred them to the study from Public Health England that shows that vaping is 95% less harmful than smoking. So uh, trying to do my own little <laughs> efficacy here, trying to get our uh, oncologists and doctors um, up to speed with some of these uh, better policies for public health. But but yeah, I mean, just from a mental standpoint, it definitely is one of those journeys that, like you said, a lot of highs, a lot of lows. Um, for me personally, I did 14 rounds of chemo. It was a pretty intense regimen. Um, and yeah, you just, you kind of lose all your energy. I lost all my hair. I lost my eyebrows, my eyelashes, I lost everything. Um, but it all comes back. And so you, you just kind of realize, you know, it's one of those things you have your back up against the ropes a little bit, but you have to kind of make a decision. Are you gonna, are you gonna let it beat you? Or are you going to beat it? One of the, uh, sayings it's kind of cheesy so apologies to our listeners in advance but uh i heard this saying a long time ago and it's um you know when you get a cancer diagnosis you really have two options you can surrender or you can survive um and again you know everyone has kind of their own battles and things that they face every day whether it's cancer or something else but mm-hmm. i think you know kind of coming at it with the best mental attitude you can absolutely makes all the difference. So for me, again, I was very lucky to be surrounded by obviously great colleagues here at Consumer Choice Center, in addition to great family, friends, medical team, lots of support all around. And uh, so again, just very grateful to say that I'm now officially cancer free and this journey should be wrapped up hopefully by uh, the summer. And then I'll be officially on the other side and just doing a surveillance. So <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. What, what's the first thing when the whole process is completely finished? What's the first thing you do? Like, what do what, well, what, I mean, you, I asked that question because there's always like, oh, like, that's going to be what I do to celebrate mm-hmm. or, or maybe you've already done some <laughs> of it. Yeah, I think, yeah. So part of it for me, the hardest part was when I was going through chemotherapy, your immune system is just gone completely bonkers. And so I was extremely immunocompromised. I had like no white blood cells and no Mm -hmm. platelets. Um, So you can't go anywhere. You really are. It's like COVID lockdowns all over again, except for you can see everyone else having fun. And then you're just sitting at home like, oh my God, this kind of sucks. But um, so that was the big thing for me. It was like, you know, get my immune system back and then get out in the world again. And so as you guys, you know, our listeners know, um, we do a lot of traveling around, you know, where we live and also around the globe as well. Hence why I'm here since Yale's gallivanting in Europe. Um, and so that was one thing for me was getting back to travel. Um, and so fortunately, I was able to uh, whip the votes for my oncologist to approve a short little trip that I was able to go on in December. Um, I was able to make my way across the pond over to Vienna, Austria to see to see you and some of our other colleagues. And so that was a huge, a huge win for me personally, just being able to kind of go back to something that felt more normal before all of this started. 
mm-hmm. um, was really nice. And so now um, we're my husband and I are planning a trip to Cancun and we're going to go get some sun and relax. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing for me is, you know, just traveling again, being able to see people again. Um, those are definitely the biggest upsides and silver linings that I'm now getting to enjoy a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine we all had some uh, taste of, of lockdown over the last few years. Um, but having yeah. that, well, everyone else is getting out of it, getting out of that would probably be um, pretty torturous beyond the, the personal experience that you had. Um, a little bit, <laughs> but just great news um, that you are, you're back um, and yes. on the mend um, officially a survivor which is uh, yes. big news. I know. I mean, for anyone listening, there's probably nobody who doesn't know someone, a family or friend um, who has had some uh, cancer of some sort. So that definitely mm-hmm. hits home with a lot of people. Um, totally. On outside of, of your own story, what are some of the, what are some of the big political things you're, you're looking at? I mean, there's, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot going on in, uh, domestic policy in the U.S. Um, oh, yeah. What's grinding your gears these days? Okay, so the big one that's kind of grinding my gears, and I think, you know, everyone's been pretty aware of this now, but the classified documents. <laughs> what is going on? Uncle I mean, Joe. Before Uncle Joe. I mean, at, four, at first, you know, good old Donnie, he had the documents, and that was a big scandal. Now come to find out that Uncle Joe also acted inappropriately pertaining to the classified documents or records that he had after he left the Obama administration. So these situations I always find a little bit interesting and laughable because you know we always here in the u.s of course as many of our listeners know pretty polarized to some extent right and so if there's a cheap shot that can be made at you know trump or biden the opposite side typically does it but i love when they take these cheap shots and then it comes to light that their guy did the exact same thing (laughs) so it's just one of those funny situations to me that now it seems to be like there's a lot of people kind of backtracking who were really upset with Trump about his documents, the classified documents that they found at Mar-a-Lago. Um, and now they're kind of backtracking now that now that Joe Biden has been found to have classified documents. And now apparently it's not as big of a deal. Um, I have seen a couple of things saying that, you know, it really comes down to the intention and that Joe Biden's classified documents, the fact that he had those, that's an honest mistake, but that Trump intentionally held them, which I don't know what to make of this. I mean, sometimes this mental gymnastics we see online is just, you know, absolutely worthy of Olympic gold. But I'm curious to hear what your take is on all of these documents. And, um, you know, what do you think? Well, I mean, it's interesting because it's, it either matters or it doesn't. And if it matters, you have to be consistent. I kind of feel like Democrats maybe shot themselves in the foot a little bit by, uh, even if the the reaction was fully justified in regards to Trump. But I, I mean, a lot of people were like, this is the end, the FBI is closing in, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, okay, well, if, if that is what matters, um, and that is like the bar that's established, well, you will also have to, account for that if your guy gets caught doing the same thing and yeah there may be intention differences i think the legal system will figure out 
that in terms of if they bring forward charges for for the Donald. Um, but yeah, there's yeah. there's a lot of um, the the Twitter account Defiant L's is going to have a great time taking people's reaction to Trump and Mar-a-Lago documents and then taking their yes. same reaction to Biden um, just because the hypocrisy totally. is so, so thick. And I mean, I think back to, there's a Canadian example of this um, where foreign affairs minister uh, Maxime Bernier under Stephen Harper, which is Canada's mm. essentially secretary of state, had left some documents at his girlfriend's house at the time and he resigned he had to resign from his cabinet post he stayed in government but he had to resign from his cabinet post um so it, it just raises it kind of begs the question of like well one two things i guess if it matters then it matters for both um totally. and two why do, why are there no consequences for this anymore <laughs> Right. Why is it just a wash? And and again, like why? Well, why do they even have these classified documents like in these specific places? Like why aren't they just held kind of under lock and key in certain like build like you know protected buildings? Like why are they even able to have these documents like kind of more in their own personal spaces? Like again, with Trump, like they found his at, at, in his residence in Mar-a-Lago, and with Biden, apparently they found them in three different places. It was his former private office in D.C., and then in two of his houses in Wilmington. So it's not like, you know, these were at the private office. I can, I guess, maybe understand a little bit, but why are you, why are we having like very sensitive classified documents in our homes like that just doesn't well, seem like good practice and i don't know i think they could handle that a lot better and just think about like if you leave a job right let's say a job you leave a job and you have um a it's a work laptop and other things that are like property of your place of employment and then you are no longer employed by that place mm -hmm. you give that stuff back Right. And, yet, and you're for legally some reason... obligated to most times as well, right? Like you sign contracts that say that exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I'm no longer in this job. Therefore, I have to return everything that I had that was the property of this job. Um, but that didn't seem to, uh, that didn't seem to register for our uh, geriatric, former, for the <laughs> former geriatric president donald trump and our and the current geriatric president joe biden maybe it's an age yeah. thing maybe they maybe they're just forgetting or something i was about but, to say maybe in, in addition to pushing for term limits also we should see a push for age limits well let's <laughs> let's uh let's get to that after the break we'll be right back and we're back on consumer choice radio um liz just before the break you were, you were mentioning maybe it's time for an age limit for U.S. politicians. This is actually something I'm pretty open to um, because there is an age limit at the bottom, right? You have to be of a certain age um, to be a member of Congress or to run for president. What is that age? I don't actually know the, the, the um, number. I believe it's 35. Um, don't okay. quote me on that. And I think for, I think for president... I think, yeah, I think for president, you have to be 35 by the time you're elected. Is my understanding. I can't understand what the justification for that would be while you don't have, I mean, that would be like an age and experience justification for the younger threshold. But obviously, there's there has to be some 
age and uh, functioning aspects of when you're at the other end of the spectrum. I mean, I just think of like my grandparents, um, God rest their souls, when they were 85, 87, 88, they were great. Um, Love them. I mean, but were they equipped to run a country? Well, yeah, and I mean, I don't know what the what the a funny example is. There's an age that you hit um, in Ontario, and I, I forget what age it is. I want to say maybe it's 85, where um, you have to redo your driver's test. I think it's annually or every two years to show your competency. Um, which I mean, that sucks for people who are very competent um, elderly people, and there's certainly a lot of them. Um, but it's like a safety check just to ensure that you don't have someone who's maybe starting to lose their faculties um, behind the wheel of a car, because that could be very dangerous. Um, it, so it, it just seems funny that the, the threshold for keeping your driver's license <laughs> is less than being the... Uh, the uh, president of the United States or the House Majority Leader. I mean, even Nancy Pelosi is, she's up there age-wise. So many, unfortunately, that are just way over the hill here. Yeah. Um, I mean, Biden, Trump, both of them obviously are, I think, late 70s, if not 80s at this point. Um, Pelosi, I think, is in her 80s. Yeah. Uh, Chuck Grassley is like, I think he's 88 or 89, got reelected. He's going to be like 95 when he is done with his next term. That is insane to me. And again, like, you know, there are some of these younger politicians that I'm not the most excited about or fond of to an extent. AOC looking at you. But at the same time, I have a lot of respect for them because at least they're, you know, are getting them putting themselves out there and trying to make some changes and being at least somewhat of a new voice, Mm -hmm. as opposed to us just hearing from the same career politicians again and again and again. So I'm a huge fan of definitely term limits, but I'm also I'm hoping someone will make the crusade for age limits as well. My goodness, we need it. And I think, too, I think the U.S. has the on average, like the oldest politician, congressperson or politician of any other country in the world. I think the average is like mid 70s is like the average age, which is just not representative of the population of course so it's yeah there i needs think to be some revisions there well and that's the funny thing is that there's a lot of conversation about representation right for african americans for other minority groups for women in politics all of these groups traditionally underrepresented in congress where congress doesn't necessarily not that it has to perfectly match the demographic makeup of the United States. I, I think that's an unrealistic goal. Um, but it shouldn't be so far off, right? It shouldn't be completely divorced from um, the demogra- demographic makeup of, of their constituents. And yet it is, but nobody ever talks about the age, <laughs> the age gap. Your average American is not 70 years old. Um, and so, yeah, to have some of that younger representation even if they have ideas that we don't like um it's probably good just as like for a healthy democracy um in that sense yeah 
Totally. My last gripe with Congress, and I know you guys have talked about this um, on the show before, but insider trading needs to also stop with Congress. The fact that Nancy Pelosi is as rich as she is. Oh my gosh. It, that also really grinds my gears. I, there's a lot of reforms that need to happen when it comes to, uh, I think, how our political system works here in the U.S. And I think a lot of it could start with Congress and we could see some some good movement here. But fact that she's made all of this money <laughs> off of, you know, a congressional salary over the years is uh, pretty eye-opening. And I always say, you know, it's silly to me that Martha Stewart went to prison, but Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. Is, uh, well, I mean, it just, it just, it, it's like you, some, you can do very rudimentary math and go, okay, how, how does, I mean, because if you were in Congress for as long as Nancy Pelosi is, you know, what her career earnings are. And so if her career earnings in Congress are $8 million, how did you turn $8 million into 270 or however, whatever her net worth is? And it's like, there's a lot of gaps there that people just don't, there's not enough, there's certainly some poking and prodding on Twitter, um, but there's not enough serious inquiry into how is that even possible? Um, because it's like we know what you make, we know what your take home pay is, we can estimate your expenses, <laughs> and it's like that doesn't make any sense. Um an ordinary person would get investigated <laughs> for that. It's totally yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. It's just this double standard with you know, some of our congressional folks and then the rest of us is frustrating to say yes. the least. So Yeah, the plebs. Exactly, as peasants here. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting. There has been some push um, in Congress to limit their ability to trade. I think, like, if they could, if it was, like, a, let's say a blind trust, I go back to that because that was what Romney had said. Because a lot of people were like, oh, well, what is Romney going to do when, um, if he becomes president, he has all all of this money invested. And he was like, oh, it goes into a blind trust. I can't see it, can't touch it. It's without it's out of my reach um and until i'm no longer president which i thought was pretty good um or you could even restrict it to like you can't pick individual stocks you could pick etfs or you could just limit it in some way yeah where it's like yeah you can invest broadly um but the individual stock picking of like Nancy Pelosi having call options on Google before tech legislation is about to be announced. It's like, hmm, that feels a little insider trading. Um, if you ever watched the, yeah, you ever watched the TV show Billions, it feels like it's right out of that TV show. But uh, um, another another topic that's uh, it feels like it comes up more often than it should is the debt limit, the debt ceiling. And uh, the drama over the debt ceiling. How many times is the U.S. going to have to <laughs> increase the debt ceiling? Um, there seems to be no appetite. The limit just does not exist. I, they're going to keep upping <laughs> it again and again and again. You know, whenever there's this, um, you know, the debt ceiling comes up, it's the big, you know, kind of rush to get spending approved or funding approved for Congress. So that way the government doesn't shut down. I personally love when the government shuts down. It just shows like how, how much, you know, administrative bloat there is throughout 
a lot of our government to an extent and things still run Mm -hmm. pretty smoothly when the government shuts down sure there's you know the dmv might not be able to go to but hey what a great excuse to not have to go to the dmv um you know there's a couple other places too that might close down but it's like essential things still run and then we're saving the taxpayers how many millions of dollars every day so (laughs) i love when it shuts down but Unfortunately, our politicians do not. And so they actively try to, you know, continue to approve massive amounts of spending in order to keep the lights on at the Capitol building and uh, keep legislation moving along, which unfortunately doesn't usually work in our favor. So, yeah. And there never seems to be any effort to like, I mean, I would love it if someone just was was like okay we'll approve the debt ceiling this time but there's like a dollar in dollar out rule where every additional dollar has to be accounted for either by raising taxes or making cuts that way you have to like you have to face the music in regards to voters on how you're going to pay for stuff because i've always said you you can advocate for whatever size of government you want but you should be able to pay for it um, and not pay for it by making younger people like us pay for it down the road, uh, which is essentially what all this debt is. It's just our the future generations picking up the tab at some point. Yeah, it's really frustrating from my perspective because, and again, like especially here in the U.S., we've seen a lot of really big spending bills get approved this last year, whether it was the infrastructure bill or the omnibus bill or, you know, the NDAA bill, like there's just so many giant spending packages that have been pushed a lot and have been passed as well. And I can appreciate the talking point from those who are in favor of these bills of, especially when it came to infrastructure of, you know, we need to invest this money in order to optimize, you know, our outputs in the future. I can appreciate that. But also why is it now we're deciding to do this? Why wasn't this taken care of along the way? And then now it's like, again, looking at our generation and even the generations below us, we're going to have a really big bill to foot here, Um, especially when it comes to a lot of these social programs, whether it's Social Security or Mm -hmm. Medicare, Medicaid, or, you know, any of these other things, we're likely not going to see any of these benefits, but we're going to continue to pay into them, which to me is just really unfortunate. And it's, it just screams that there's a huge mismanagement of funds um, in Washington, which I think is pretty clear. One thing that I have to kind of commend Trump on is I believe when he was president, he enacted a policy that is like for every regulation that gets passed two need to be removed. And I would kind of like to see that happen when it comes to spending, like for every new spending bill, there needs to be a reduction in spending elsewhere because we just do not have enough funds to keep going at this rate. Um, and the taxpayers certainly can't keep up with this rate of spending that Congress is is moving with. So it's going to come to a head sooner or later. Um, and I'm not excited to see what that looks like. Yeah. And I've, I've had this discussion in Canada in regards to debt and tax rates. It's like we live in a very globalized world. It's more easy now than ever. Um, Now, it's still not as easy as it should be um, to work elsewhere. And the pandemic has kind of shown that. I mean, there was there's the employee at Google who's who (laughs) who bought a a year long cruise ticket that cruises around the world. He just works from the cruise ship. That's Uh, that's one kind of fun. I didn't hear of that. That's amazing. (laughs) 
But there's a lot of companies that are like not really going back to the office in a serious way, or they're allowing for remote work more permanently. And it's like, well, what what keeps you? I mean, there are a lot of reasons why people stay in the areas where they've always lived or they were born. Um, but there's a lot of reasons why people leave. I mean, we've seen that with some Canadians leaving and going to Florida or Texas or South Carolina and things like that. I mean, what happens when the bill comes due and your your high-income earners, your young younger-ish professionals just decide to go elsewhere if they can? I mean, I remember during COVID, some of the Caribbean islands would give you essentially a work visa if you could prove that you had 10 grand in the in in your bank account and you could work as a like as a legal taxpayer in the Bahamas um if you're a remote worker and you can work beachside um that might be a little more attractive than DC in February um so there's also that factor at play which i think a lot of people forget is like don't take taxpayers for granted um because they can leave and the ones who do leave are the ones who have the means to leave and by having the means to leave it means they're the the people who foot more of the tax bill um and you all all that would do is just shift more of the burden onto working class people and that gets ugly pretty quick um yeah when we when we come back from the break here Liz um I want to just go back quickly to Uncle Joe, um, and and what your take is on the next election? Is he is he going to make an announcement? There's a lot of rumors. Uh, we've talked about this before, but I feel like it just changes every time we chat because nobody really knows. But you'll you'll get a chance to break that down for for listeners when we come back on Consumer Choice Radio. And we're back on Consumer Choice Radio. Uh, Liz, we've we've talked about uh, a lot here. Um, what's your take on on Joe Biden? Is it the prospect of an announcement? What's going on for listeners uh, who maybe aren't uh, up to speed on on the rumor mill? Yeah. So as uh, our listeners know, of course, the presidential elections are going to be in full swing again any moment where we're going to see a lot more people starting to announce. We're going to start seeing the debates, the ads, all of this is, you know, going to come to a head soon. Um, rumors have been a swirling around both Trump and Biden and their announcements to run in 2024. Um Trump allegedly was going to announce after the midterm elections, decided not to after those did not go the way he planned. He's now facing a lot of uh, flack from his own base, especially after meeting with Kanye Nick Fuentes, um, not looking good for him. But then going to Biden, he's in somewhat of a similar boat here. We all thought he would have announced already. Um, I personally have to say, I did not think he was going to announce at all. I thought he was going to, you know, do this term and then pass the torch potentially to Kamala or someone else. I just, you know, it seems to me that he's not uh, fully uh, there and able to, you know, deliver his best. So I don't know if he wants to stick around or not, but it sounds like they are gearing for him to announce that he will be running again in 2024. Um, 
there was rumors that he was going to have announced already. Although um, I read this morning that the announcement's likely going to be pushed back until after the State of the Union address, which will be um, in a couple of weeks here on February 7th. Um, so it's interesting to see how this will play out. His approval ratings are pretty low right now. I think they actually might be the lowest they've been um, in quite some time. So I think they're probably the his team and and the DNC. I better you know doing some some pretty active work here to try to get these numbers boosted and and hopefully get his approval ratings up to see if he is viable. Um, we've talked a lot about potential candidates and who could run, who could actually have a shot here in 2024. For me personally, I don't know if Trump or Biden are viable. I think the American people are kind of hungry for somebody new here. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious what your take is, David. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Biden is that as much as like I can see the appeal, right? Like him personally, he's kind of like an aw shucks, likable guy. He kind of reminds me of Grandpa. Um, But he was already the oldest person to assume the presidency uh, at 78. So that would mean at the end of his second term, um, he would be 86. That is pretty old. Um, That is pretty old. I mean, I go back to when John McCain was running, and it wasn't even that he was that old, but he had some health issues, and the Democrats ran pretty heavily on, like, would he even live through the term? He had he had, had his own bouts of melanoma, I believe it was, um, and some health issues, and so they they questioned whether he was really a viable candidate because of his, his health and age. That's kind of all gone out the window um, with Uncle Joe, and uh, I, I I feel like it might be best if uh, it would be quite refreshing if both parties moved on uh, from their incumbents. Um, Biden would have will will have accomplished the goal of beating Trump and and casting him away, um, which was for the best in my opinion. Um, but then hand the 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 party and the reins over to somebody else whom has maybe a little more spunk and a, and a, a more forward-thinking vision. And then on the Republicans, just get out of the shadow that is mega world. Um, and we saw how disastrous that was electorally in all of the midterms and most, not all, but most of the big mega uh, characters losing um, their races and really, in my opinion, stopping what was going to be the red wave was the kind of the mega uh, anchor that was holding them back. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's interesting. A lot of talk on whom whom it would be. Um, I had always said that maybe Mayor Pete um, would be a viable candidate, although he's getting a lot of flack. Uh, as transportation secretary, because that whole space is uh, has been uh, a disaster for a variety of reasons. I couldn't even say if they're his fault, um, per se, um, but they certainly get blamed on him. Um, and then a lot of people talk about DeSantis in Florida, but he's still been relatively quiet on any intention um, 
to do for what's next. And so I'm I'm not really sure what's going to happen. I mean, it would be absolute chaos if we had Trump Biden again. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about just, you know, picking the lesser of two evils. It's what an unexciting ticket. I absolutely will not get out the vote. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I can just anticipate it being one of the lowest turnout elections if we had a Trump Biden ticket again. Oh, um, brutal. I oh, mean, and, and yeah. some of the rumors, I have no idea if this is even accurate. Would consider Marjorie Taylor Greene as his running oh, mate. Oh, no. And it's like, oh, <laughs> that's, that is the... That is an absolute nightmare. Um, it, who may I, in in that case, it's like I don't care who Joe Biden's running mate is, if it's Harris or otherwise, um, I would be Team Joe <laughs> for sure. Um, you know, maybe if these two clowns do run, both Biden and Trump, and especially if Trump has a Marjorie uh, Taylor Green VP slot. I could see the libertarians taking it, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> this could be the year of third party. Like, mm. <laughs> it's like yeah, bring it's... back Marianne Williamson. Like, I'll take her at this point. <laughs> I mean, she's Louise. The, it's the crystals lady, right? The healing crystals lady? Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, but I mean, it's like you thought that like Trump versus Hillary was, put a sour taste in your mouth. Imagine Biden versus Trump round two with a even crazier VP nom for Trump. And it's like, oh boy, it would be entertaining. That's what I just had to say, you know, there's this, you know, this part of me that just loves chaos. And that part of me is just would absolutely live for a debate between Marjorie and Kamala. Can you imagine? <laughs> that would just be like one for the ages. It feels like it would just be like an episode of Maury Povich. <laughs> totally. Just hauling insults at each other and slander and insanity and all sorts of weird conspiracy like oh man it would be entertaining um it would be entertaining and i don't have to directly live through the consequences of what happens as a canadian but i do have a vested interest in the united states not failing um it would be great if 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 the u.s did not implode and so um Ideally, we could avoid that outcome, both for your sake and, and for mine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh. And we'll see what happens. It'll be uh, definitely an interesting election year. And uh, we'll see who uh, throws their hat in. But hopefully it's yeah. not Marjorie. Oh, <laughs> That's God. all I can say. <laughs> Please, no. Please, God, no. <laughs> um, okay, what else? We, we have, um, I think we have about six or so minutes uh for the show um is there anything else uh noteworthy that listeners should be keeping their eye on um u.s policy wise or or else elsewise you got anything that's uh that tickles your fancy well one thing i've been keeping my eye on is um trump and his twitter account oh yes. so he was welcomed back to twitter um when elon you know, took over, if you will, um, and allowed him to, or like reactivated his account. He, but I, every, every so often I'll look at Trump's Twitter just to see if there's any activity. <laughs> and there has not been since 2021, which I think is interesting that 
he got access back, but has not used it. Yeah. Um, and we were chatting about this um, previously, and he does own, I believe it's called Truth Social. It's Trump's own like social yeah. media platform. Not not sure how many people are even on that. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of curious why he hasn't gone back to Twitter. Do you have any thoughts or opinions on maybe well, why he hasn't? I think he's he's stuck in a weird spot where if he wants to really run, he's going to have to go back to Twitter and Facebook. or Well, Twitter, and I don't know what his status is on Facebook if he was banned. Well, I think but... Facebook was really important for him in the last two elections. I mean, yeah. especially for 2016, because his ability to fundraise yep. off of Facebook was astronomical. Yeah, so I think he's got to go back if he wants to actually have a serious run uh, at the presidency again. But then at the same time, by going back, it kind of undermines his original mission with Truth Social to create some sort of alternative social media, which is, from my understanding, nothing more than like a mega echo chamber. Um, and so he has to kind of undermine his own investment by driving the focus and attention um, to a platform that he doesn't own. Um, so it's like a, he's, he's going to have to either not use Twitter, um, which doesn't seem like very advantageous um, for him, or he's going to have to use Twitter and just peel traffic and attention away from however many users there are on Truth Social. And probably probably like seriously undermine whatever financial stability truth social has i have no idea if if it's even profitable um but it would be hard pressed to see them be profitable when the reason that the like the person that the platform exists for uses an alternative platform it would be like if all of a sudden elon took to facebook and was and was like really ramping up his activities on Facebook. Obviously, people are going to pivot to Facebook to see what Elon Musk is saying, which means they're not doing it on Twitter. And it's like, well, there goes your your forty four billion dollars or however much you paid. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, it's again, like I am a little shocked he hasn't used his Twitter, I do think what you said totally makes sense though, where it would undermine his own platform quite a bit. So, but I also, I, you know, he has to be doing kind of like a cost benefit analysis here as well, right? Like, is it worth undermining his own platform? If that means financially, he is more viable to run, yeah. maybe he would, but at the same time would, it's kind of a double-edged sword too, I think too, because if he does leave, then does that alienate some of his strongest supporters who then did switch to truth social as opposed to staying on these other platforms and kind of like i mentioned before he's already uh irritated i would say quite a bit of his base in the last you know six months anyway so it doesn't even make sense for him to make that gamble i don't know i don't know i think this all is just saying trump i think it's time for you to move on buddy don't think politics is for you anymore yeah maybe just stay on truth social and and be your be be your truth social version of a Twitter troll and make crazy claims and do whatever weird yeah. things you're gonna do and just kind of fade off into the sunset. And... I'd be happy if he brought 
brought back the apprentice and then maybe we could instead of like celebrities as the contestants we could do like people former politicians like nancy pelosi could be one of the contestants or imagine if mega world had a, had its own version of the apprentice and it was like who's going to be the front runner if it's not trump <laughs> they have all these tasks they have to like fundraise for the wall <laughs> it's like and then he he's sitting there and he's like you're fired and then it narrows down to one person. It's like, that's who, that's who Donald Trump supports for president. Right. <laughs> that's was, who gets the VP slot. Yeah. And it's just, it's just a marketing ploy for him to make more money on some sort of television deal. Um, but uh, anyway, Liz, um, it's been great to have you on, uh, on the show again. Obviously, congratulations on um, your great news in regards to your health and i'm sure we will have you back on the program uh very soon yes thank you so much always a pleasure to be here